gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman, Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, It's Superman, the Karazoroth Podcast, the Armor Pure Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 82 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only podcast specifically and exclusively uh, covering the adventures of Superman in the Bronze Age. Today, we continue our look at the Treasury Edition team-up of Superman and the original Captain Marvel in Superman vs. Shazam. Shazam. And once again, to join me in this special occasion is the... Well, the biggest Captain Marvel fan I know. Like I said last time, Mr. J. David Weeder. Thank you. It's good to be here talking Captain Marvel. Yay! He's not, dis- you know, he's not discussed enough, is what I think, honestly. No. You know, it's like someone should do a Captain Marvel podcast. If only. If only. But I'm sure yeah, something like that would take a lot of production time. Yeah. At least, like, six months or so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but before we get into the Captain Marvel... Well, to the Captain Marvel book, which also stars Superman. Um, I do need to point out that this episode is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your one-stop shop for comic book trades and graphic novels at greatly discounted prices. For example, and I need to bring up my browser window because it closed. Here we go. There are several Captain Marvel slash Superman books available at InStockTrades. For one, not even counting the one we just talked about, that we're actually talking about in a, retri- in a reprint trade paperback. But there is uh, DC Comics Presents Shazam number two, which invol- co- uh, collects Power of Shazam 44 through 47, co- co-st- guest starring Superman and the Justice League. That's normally $7.99, and they've got got it at in-stock trades for $4.39, which is 45% off. Also, 
since we talked about it a ton last time. The Power of Shazam graphic novel by Jerry Ordway, which basically was the launching point for the Power of Shazam ongoing series of the... That was mid-90s by the time it started, right? Right after Zero Hours when the, the actual series started. Okay, so yeah, just mid-90s. Um, the cover price on this graphic novel is $7.50. You can get it at in-stock trades for $4.12, which again is 45% off. Or, if Bronze Age Captain Marvel is more your style, Showcase presents Shazam Volume 1 trade paperback, which is a black-and-white reprint of the first 35 issues of Shazam. Which, I believe that they can fit that many because, one, it's a big book, and two, there was also a lot of reprinting of Golden Age Adventures, am I correct? Yes. So, they, yeah. it was really shorter stories. It was the first 30, there was missing two, 33 issues or so. Um, really, a really solid read. I have it on my shelf, thanks to Mr. Michael Bailey. And one of my favorite, just favorite reads, because... I mean, it's a little goofy. Remember, all Captain Marvel stuff is in this era was pretty goofy, but really just solid. You, for the, for that price, you can't beat that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that price, the price is sixteen ninety nine on the cover. In stock trades has it for nine dollars and thirty four cents, which again is forty five percent off. Mm-hmm. You can find these deals and more at InStockTrades.com, and keep in mind that any order over $50 has free shipping. I'd be really conflicted with that one if I didn't have those books. Uh, as far as which one I'd recommend more, probably Power of Shazam, because it's just so well done. Mm-hmm. I'm just all the way around. Yeah, too- Jerry Ordway did a top-notch job. It's too bad they don't have more collections of the actual ongoing. Yes. I know. That I mean, kind of kills I mean, me. This, this one thing only has... What four issues? Four, 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 five, four, seven. Yeah, four issues of that of the book. Plus, you have the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. That's all they reprinted. Yeah, that's it. But of course, that so, series was never top of the charts. It was really critically well received, uh, mm-hmm. very loved by readers. But it was never something that just broke the what I don't even know what the equivalent of the internet would be at that time. But never broke the community in half. You know, <laughs> it broke the pagers, man. Yeah, it broke all the pagers. But... <laughs> it's been vibrating all day. I know, darn it. All right, well, today we're going to continue our look at all new collector's edition C58, Superman versus Shazam from 1978. Again, to let everyone know, the title of the story is When Earths Collide, written by Jerry Conway, pencils by Rich Buckler, inked by Dick Giordano and company, lettered by Gaspar Saladino, colorist was Adrian Roy, and the editor was Julie Schwartz. And after these two promos, we'll be right back with what happened in the second half of the story. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Since the day Bruce Banner was bathed in gamma rays, he has fought the creature within. The creature torments Banner. The creature is unstoppable. The creature is incredible. Now, the countdown has begun to Banner's greatest confrontation with the Hulk, and all of his internal battles have come down to one moment. One final chance to reclaim his life and be whole, and three words will change the Hulk and Banner forever. Honey, I'm home. Bigger. Smarter. Greener. The Hulk is taken to new heights as writer Peter David delivers an all-new phase for the Jade Giant. 
and Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, is bringing it all to you. Join J. David Weeder, Lee Busby, and Michael Bailey as they turn a new corner and cover the all-new, all-different Incredible Hulk. Find the Ultimate Hulk podcast experience weekly at iTunes and at IncredibleHulkHomepage.com. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast. Experience the epic like never before. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Short Box Showcase. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. All right. We're going to pick up in the middle of the book, the interlude before Chapter 3. We're at, once again, Castle Carmang on Mars, on specifically on Mount Olympus. Carmang is currently being tormented because of the fact that, you know, all the ghosts of the rest of his whole species is haunting him. But he explains because... Well, fortunately, because you guys haven't heard this for a couple weeks, but also, you know, in case you haven't read the first half of the book, that his plans are to bring his people back. But in order to do that, and in, to, in order to release the energy he needs to free them from their ghostly imprisonment, he must re- uh, release a specific amount of energy, which can only be gained through cosmic catastrophe. So... He's had his agents, specifically Black Adam and the Sand Superman from Quarm, plant devices on Earth-1 and Earth-S to draw the two planets together, which will cause a planetary collision, causing a catastrophe that will destroy both Earths and give off enough energy to bring all of his people back. But in order to do that, he's got to deal with Superman and Captain Marvel. So how has he done that? Well, he sent Black Adam over to Earth-1 to dressed up like Captain Marvel to attack Superman and hit him with this Judgment Ray, which caused Superman to start acting irrationally and head towards Earth-S to specifically kill Captain Marvel. Then the Sand Superman was sent over to Earth-S, dressed as Superman, and he attacked Captain Marvel, and hit Captain Marvel with the same ray, and he's planning on heading back to Earth-1 to take out Superman. Also, these devices that the, that the villains placed on the planets are also protected. If anyone messes with them, they will cause untold chaos and affect the world's climate and geothermic structure, causing things like tidal waves, earthquakes, Dogs terrible and cats storms. Living together, mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. 
And that's how that's going to work. So right now, because apparently I have my theories about why they did that in that, se that part of the book. But anyway, so by this point, what's happened is we're on Earth-1. Captain Marvel and Mary Marvel have gone to the Rock of Eternity, which is at the, what do they call it, the nexus of all the universes? Pretty much center, the uh, multiverse. The center of the whole shindig. Yeah, the center of the whole multiverse, I guess. And have gone to Earth-1 in the time it took for Superman to literally fly a couple blocks. And over the sky, in the skies over Metropolis, Superman and Captain Marvel are literally yelling at each other, and Mary Marvel is just left to wonder what the heck is going on. Well, actually, what in heaven's name is going on? Well, Superman, who, you know, normally just doesn't want to instigate anything, takes the first punch, and with a womp, Captain Marvel gets punched right into the WGBS building, knocking the G off of the building, and apparently the W, but it's still on the building from now. Which causes, of course, a lot of rocks and other debris to fall down, meaning that Superman does not seem to be caring at all about the people below. Sounds like a movie I saw once. Um, so then Superman and bo both Superman and Shazam continue fighting. At one point, Captain Marvel thro uh, did I say Shazam? I'm sorry. Captain Marvel and Superman continue fighting. Thank you for correcting so yourself. Yes, <laughs> I'm over welcome. here seething with anger. No. <laughs> <laughs> did you miss it? No. I was just not oh, going to okay. interrupt your synopses. Oh, thanks. Uh, throws some, a bit of brick wall at Superman, which you know doesn't do anything, but Superman gloats about it doesn't hurt. However, it does look like a homage to Superman 233, except instead of breaking chains, he's got a brick wall bouncing off of his chest and tummy. Moving right along. So Superman literally blows him away. Uh, Mary Marvel tries to get Cap to slow down and think about what he's doing, but he just kind of brushes off Mary, tells her, basically tells her to shut up, and goes back and starts pummeling on Superman, and they start flying towards the green hills of upstate New York. At this point, Supergirl catches up to Mary Marvel, and they explain to each other what's been going on, and they come to realize that it's all been some kind of strange setup. So... Supergirl wonders who could possibly imitate Captain Marvel, which Mary Marvel tells her all about Captain Adam. He was the first mortal to receive the magic word, the same one that Billy and Mary use, from the old wizard Shazam in the, ancient, in the days of ancient Egypt. But Black Adam chose to use his magical powers for evil, uh, even to the point of taking over the Pharaoh's throne, until the Old Wizard banished him to the furthest star, and it took Black Adam 5,000 years to return to Earth. And that would have been way back in the 40s. And at this point, Mary wonders who could have imitated Superman, so Supergirl tells Mary Marvel all about the only person who could do it. Because, well, you'd notice if it was Bizarro, because he's not that articulate. And the Phantom Zone villains are all accounted for, and a Kandorian could be doing it, but they would have heard if one had left the bottle. So it has to be the Quarmer, who was created when a giant kryptonite engine explosion not only caused all the kryptonite on Earth to turn to iron, but also opened a doorway into the Quarm dimension, which allowed the creation of the Quarmer creature who slowly was stealing Superman's powers for the better part of a year. So the girls decide that they're going to take care of business. Pretty much. 
Um, but also, Mary Marvel decides that Superman's really the kind of guy she could dig. Uh, meanwhile, we catch back up to our heroes, if you want to call them that at this point, and they are currently over Niagara Falls. Uh, specifically, I think that's the Canadian side. Uh, how, how, how can you tell? Uh, well, the Canadian ones are bigger. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, actually, I think the Canadian ones are more horseshoe. This looks more straight, so this might be the American side. It's hard to... It's, there, it, it isn't easy to tell without more reference than what we've got here. I don't know. Christopher Reeve's not there saving a the kid. Anyway... Could it be possible that you are overthinking it? I possibly am, okay. yes. Uh, meanwhile, uh, even though we don't see the building, Superman hits Captain Marvel right into the Niagara Falls power station, which causes a major power blackout along America's east coast, including, well, a, a family that's in the dark. They look really scared. The guy looks like he's possessed. Anyway, moving right back. Um, so Superman continues blasting Captain Marvel with some heat vision, as he goes on the defensive... Is this... This can't be Chapter 4 yet. No? Okay. Nope. My interlude is only half a page. Never mind. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, uh, it's really not much of an interlude. Yeah. Captain Marvel blasts him from the ground while Superman hits him with some heat vision. Meanwhile, um, Carmang is watching the fight on some kind of a screen because he's got cameras everywhere. And basically, he just kind of just kind of forgets everything and just basically is watching. Meanwhile, back on Earth-1, we're in Egypt, where Serpent Girl has basically figured out where Black Adam would go. He went to the Pharaoh's tomb in the pyramids. On Earth-1, the chamber was hidden for over 5,000 years, and inside was buried... Oh, they don't do that yet. What is it? Oh, yeah. yeah and inside, the pharaoh was buried with the Ib stick. Ibis, or the Ibis magic stick. scepter. <laughs> of course it is. Let me try that again. <laughs> inside this pharaoh's tomb is the Ibis stick, or the magic scepter. Um, on Earth-S, it's actually possessed by Ibis the Invincible, a prince of ancient Egypt living today, who uses it as a, to be a hero. Which I just said. But on Earth One, there is no Ibis the Invincible, so Captain Mar or Captain Marvel, so Black Adam gets his hands on it and tries to leave the pyramid. Meanwhile, on Earth S, Mary Marvel returns to New York, scouring all over Manhattan and the other boroughs for the Quarmer, but that fails. Unfortunately, <clears throat> a quick fly over the beach, she sees, well, something very similar. If you know about the Quarmer, it's basically looks like the looks like Superman but flat uh, <laughs> I don't want to say <laughs> uh, basically it looks like a glowing indentation of a man with a cape lying on the beach which basically is what we saw in Superman 233 after Superman crashed to the ground normally Mary Marvel wouldn't have seen it but right now there's cloud co uh, concealing some of the moonlight making it stand out like a sore thumb uh, before she can confront the uh, Quarmer, we switch back to Supergirl, who uses some super suction, or super inhalation, 
to, I don't know how to say this without it sounding wrong, literally suck the stick uh, <laughs> back out of uh, Black Adam's hands and back to her. She then uses it to cause some magical lightning to strike Black Adam, which turns him back into Teth Adam, and basically just a normal human. And she literally threatens him with physical violence to tell him, to tell her what exactly is going on. Meanwhile, back in New York, uh, Mary Marvel starts a f- starts fighting with the Quarmer, but the Quarmer really just says, "No, I don't want to fight." And basically, he doesn't want to. He really doesn't want to deal with Carmang's plan. So he basically tells her everything she needs to know. That was a terrible synopsis. But that's my section. What did you think? This was a really smart section. Although I don't know that we get enough Superman and Captain Marvel fighting. No, but we get a lot of. Supergirl and Mary Marvel being smart. Yes, that's I kind of like that these weren't they weren't just there as byproducts or sidekicks. They actually have a really valid part of the story, and mainly because Mary Marvel I, I hold in high esteem because she is the first female derivative of a superhero. I mean, you have Batgirl now, Supergirl. There's a female. I mean, Batwoman. Um, Mary Marvel was the first time they said the first they had a female derivative. Uh, kind of like Captain Marvel Jr. being the first kind of ver- younger version of the character. Mm-hmm. And so she's a very valid character on her own right and very big part of Billy. And Supergirl was somebody who I don't think they really got their people's writers' minds wrapped around her until around this time. But she's wearing that really ugly mm-hmm. sweater costume. But I'm glad they, that they are a big part of this. I like that one, but that's all right. It's not a sweater it's a blouse. A low-cut blouse with a choker collar. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very unsleek. Uh, and hot pants. And hot pants. There you go. Well, see, th- that way she has a silhouette different from every other female superhero. Poofy sleeves. Firestorm liked it and did the same thing. Yeah, but Firestorm has something to offset it, and that's his hair on fire. Okay. <laughs> you got me there, but still. <laughs> but I thought I thought Black Adam going for the Ibis stick was one of the greatest touches to this story. Because they, you know, Ibis was a character in his own right. He was in backups for Wiz Comics. He came back in Power of Shazam. So the logic here is great that, yeah, he would actually be buried with this now. That power is just sitting here on Earth-1. Wonderful idea yeah. to have them pursue that. I never would have thought of that. No. Kudos to Jerry Conway. Um, of course, we also have Superman and Captain Marvel fighting over landmarks like Niagara Falls. You can tell they are heading west, and that will, will progress through the story. It's consistent, which I dig a lot. Plus, you have just this amazing splash, which loses some of its effect in the trade paperback, as opposed to the, the copy you have, where Superman mm-hmm. and Captain Marvel meet for the first time. Yeah. Over, over the Niagara? Yeah. Well, yeah. no, even before it that, makes... the beginning of the chapter, even. Oh, yeah, I mean, just sorry. All the splashes here are... Because splash pages are a really good tool for something big and bad, but now they're used very willy-nilly. I mean, somebody opens a jar of ketchup, and it's a splash page. <laughs> yeah, drawn by Jim Blaze. <laughs> well, the, the cool thing is there's om- li- literally almost 
two two page splat, splashes in a row. You have the uh, right here where they first meet to start chapter three, and then the next page is basically a two page splash. They just throw a couple like uh, like four panels on top of the splash, where Superman's punching him into the WGBS building. Because that's how he rolls. Heck yeah. It was, but it's all splash page worthy. It's not just... Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at it, you're like, oh, that looks cool. That looks cool. That's astonishing. Where we take splash pages for granted very easily now with modern comics. Oh, yeah. And they, and they were taking advantage of the the format that it was being published in, whether that was the intent or not. Because you and I talked off air that this the way it's broken up is odd. Like it was originally a, a series of some kind. Yeah. Like it's um, I don't know if it's supposed to be like a two special issues or a four part mini series. Like they put it together, like this is a trade or something. It just so every time they go back to Carmang, he's re uh, not insinuating, but he's reestablishing what his plan is every time. And it may also, I mean, it may be that it was intended for something like, my, my guess would be DC Comics Presents. Mm-hmm. Because the, the follow-up to this does occur in, in Marvel Family Presents 33 and 34. And You mean DC Comics Presents 33 and 34? What did I say? Now I'm terrified. Marvel Family Presents. Ah, yes. DC Comics <laughs> Presents. <laughs> it's close. It works. But, uh, yeah, the the back at the follow-up to this is pretty epic in its own right and brings in more mainstay villains plus Hoppy the Marvel Bunny you can't go wrong with part with Hoppy no I, I, I almost called him Harpy I can't get mad at Hoppy um, page 41 on your book did they correctly color Superman's boots or did they keep the incorrect yellow stripe on them is it really incorrect to have a yellow stripe on his boots Yes. Okay. I think it's a good visual flair, but no, it's, his boots are consistently back to simply red. So okay. they did correct no, that. No, I, I, I don't. Sometimes it looks cool. Sometimes it annoys me when they do it. But I was just curious. Yeah, it's it's correct. Okay. But yeah, the Niagara Falls shot. I mean, just all of this is win, and it's a lot of exposition as they're simply fighting, and maybe we. I, I, I kind of whined a little bit about not having enough. I think this is actually legitimately a good balanced way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they keep cutting back to the fight and cutting into the story and cutting back to the fight and cutting to the story. I failed to mention, though, in my whole synopsis that Steve Lombard and Lois are following the whole fight in a helicopter that they've flown from Metropolis all the way to Niagara Falls. It's It's cheap exposition. Mm-hmm. But she, yeah, you Echo also Goku. Lois muscles Steve into flying the helicopter. Yeah, I have to say Steve is very un-Steve in this book. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a panty waist. Yeah, I mean he's like, it's almost like he was supposed to be Jimmy, and they changed it to Steve at the last minute. Well, that would be Maybe. that would be weird. Got a race going. Yeah, it would, but, you know, there's no Jimmy. And Steve wasn't that popular. 
But Jerry was writing Super or Superman stuff at this time, so he kind of knew the character. It just, I don't know. It does feel like maybe there was a lot more editorial hands on this one. Yeah. But with something like Muhammad Superman versus Muhammad Ali, you expect that because they were essentially using a licensed property, just happened to be a real person. Right. Here it's their own in-house characters. Even though at this it's point pos- they didn't outright own Captain Marvel. Yeah, it's possible too. They were trying. They were really wanting to use this also to kind of uh, do something more with the Marvel family, Cause since at this point they had their title had been canceled and they were a backup in not even consecutive issues of World's Finest. They hadn't been canceled quite yet. They were about to be. They were very close to being canceled. Oh, okay. I think it may have been on the chopping block, and this may have been something to gain more exposure. Ah, yeah, that would make sense. So it could have. So that could be another reason there could be editorial handiwork here because of the fact that they're trying to use this as more than just an entertainment thing. They want to make sure they get as much headline room for both of both of the characters, especially with this being Superman's 40th year, and he's got a movie coming out, and then they're trying to get more exposure for the Marvel family. It wouldn't hurt. Perhaps. Yeah, because, I mean, Mm-mm. the thing is, despite what I said last episode with Captain Marvel being easily the, uh, the biggest selling character in the 40s, because of the period where he was no longer being published... I mean, it wasn't just he he wasn't being published. People who worked on the books were afraid to talk about him because there's a very good article on uh, comic book resource, Newsarama, pardon me, it's, it's on Newsarama, that was the oral history of Captain Marvel, where some reporters were talking about how they would contact some artists, writers or artists to get material for research or for... Uh, I know somebody was doing a book about comic book history, and people were afraid to even give that out for reprint pur- purposes. Oh, wow. That sucks. <laughs> so, uh, And look, looking at this, the final issue of Sh- uh, Shazam came out February 6th. Yeah, I was going to say, I double-checked that. I was actually wrong. It literally was being canceled. <laughs> like, the final issue came out Ugh, the same like, month. Yeah, we're talking about, like, what, 21 days. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... <laughs> like, three weeks apart. So, yeah. <laughs> so, who knows? <laughs> and I was wrong. I, I apologize. I've gotten so used to the current stuff where they just call him Shazam when I'm sitting here t- talking about how they were relegated to not cons- non-consecutive issues of World's Finest, I was actually looking at Shazam, which would be the wizard. They were in consecutive issues of World's Finest as a backup feature. And then, when that, and then they were in two issues. To wrap that up, they were two to three issues of Adventure Comics. They were kicked around, and the thing is, I don't think... Just a segue, since we're on the topic, I don't know that DC ever knew how to handle these characters. Until the power of Shazam, I don't think they found that place of equilibrium. Yeah, that, that they were. Well, they were also. This was right around the time they were getting to the. No, the, the implosion was a couple of years before. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, they were. They had all sorts of series bouncing all over the place. Yeah. At this point, 
if you didn't have an ongoing title. I mean, Aquaman was all over. Uh, Green Arrow was all over. Uh, the the Marvel stuff was all over. The Atom was all over the place. J the Justice Society had been all over the place. I mean, there was all kind. Even Green Lantern, I believe, at this point, because he had been a backup in the uh, Flash book for a while. And in fact, speaking of that, in this month, it's Johnny Quick. Yeah. <laughs> so. That was a. It's an interesting. Oh, that's, period. I'm now, sorry. That's the Flash Spectacular. But anyway. But yeah, yes. it was an interesting period for a lot of characters. The thing is. The these this particular group of characters suffered perhaps more because they weren't in you know core DC characters. They had been out of the publication mm-hmm. for over twenty years, and as I was kind of making the point earlier, they they basically went dark. Like I mean, there there was a little uh, band of fans called the Fawcett City Collectors, and that kind of kept it alive. But ultimately, in the public consciousness, these characters were wiped out of existence for all intents and purposes. And so, I mean, it was hard. I mean, the, these characters did need different exposures. So definitely they needed to have them elevated to some point, and DC never really stepped to the plate with it. And like we mentioned before, I mean, they they start, I mean, like you said, I mean, the book was only around for about five years. Mm-hmm. And in that time, they changed the look. They changed their setting they changed all sorts of stuff and they just couldn't get really anything to settle no it was it was i think it was just a matter of some of it was timing and some of it was they started out wanting to really reproduce that faucet style but times and tastes had changed i mean and even cc beck's you know realizing realized that as he started drawing it uh denny o'neill was an odd choice but i mean at this point otto bender was not in good shape <laughs> Right, and I'm thinking he was more. They were going to him more for the name than mm-hmm. well what he'd be able to put out. Because I mean, they had just done that with Superman. He was still popular for his Batman stuff. Yeah, and apparently he hated writing <laughs> Shazam as well. Well, yeah, because again, it's a superpowered character. He doesn't like. He can't deal with the superpowered characters. Maybe someone like Spider-Man is close, but. You know, the, the Superman, where he's just so uber-powerful, and Captain Marvel is very similar, at least on power levels. Yeah. So that's why I made the joke last episode about the fact that, you know, he quit Superman because he couldn't handle these kinds of characters, and then he wrote the first few, uh, f- first few issues of, Cap- of the Captain Marvel yeah. book. The heck's up with that? <laughs> so, yeah, that was... Yeah. Well, it's kind of like anybody who, I mean, just because they're comic writers, there's it's still employment. You still need to put food on the table. And sometimes, exactly. I mean, we've all taken jobs where it's like, yeah, this isn't my calling. This isn't what I want to do. But, yeah, heck, I'll cook a Whopper if it means a roof over my head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just found it interesting. Yeah. But I forgot where Especially... we were within the story. <laughs> Um, we're currently at uh, Superman and Captain Marvel. We're fighting over Niagara okay. Falls. Just making sure we were moving ahead from there. Back in before I derailed us with a a little tirade on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um page forty six when okay. First of all, apparently, um, Captain Marvel gets punched into the power station where one 
we never ever see the power station. Um, no. Captain Marvel gets hit into something. There's smoke. <laughs> uh, but there, it's like there was supposed to be a background that they forgot to put in. That's what it looks like. Yeah, like a green. Like they were yeah. filming in green screen and just yeah forgot to put anything <laughs> just in. For, yeah. And then when they're showing like the city blacking out, that doesn't look like an American city. It looks like a. It looks like an East European city. It doesn't look like yeah, anything local. In a battle, like the battle, one of those ones in the battle zone. Yeah. I mean, the, the buildings don't look like they're in good shape. Um, yeah, it just looks really bad, and it doesn't look like it's supposed to be America. It's almost like it's, there was some discrepancy between the art people and the writer at this point. I don't know what was going on. And then they do have to make a timely mention of the fact that this blackout's just like the one from the previous July which is the great blackout. Ah. Well done. Thank you. That's the one that, I believe that's the one that um the guys work the crew working on the Superman movie were afraid that they had caused because they were filming in New York City at the time when the blackout started. Fun anecdote. <laughs> it all comes back to Superman. I think literally someone had just plugged something in. <laughs> and then <laughs> And then, poof, the entire East Coast, well, up there anyway, was gone. But anyway, I would think that um, Superman hitting him with heat vision would hurt. Yeah, but he is, well, no, that was, you see a hiss there, so yeah, I assume that does hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, he does have, and I don't think we've mentioned Captain Marvel's power set. Oh, yeah. Because his powers come from mythological figures. I mean, he has Wisdom of Solomon, Strength of Hercules, uh, and I'm going to forget these on air. That's going to be awesome. Well, um, Atlas is the next Uh, one. Stamina of Atlas, uh, Power of Zeus. That's the one I actually want to focus on for a second because Power of Zeus. Zeus is the, the A1 number one in the pantheon of Greek and... Roman mythology. <laughs> Power. Yes. He's also the reason everybody has problems, but because he can't keep it tame, you know. He has uh, That's a, good a way wandering to say eye. <laughs> and, um, and other yeah. things. And uh, then we have the... Achilles? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Oh, well, I was helping you because you said you didn't... Anyway, so he's got the something of Achilles. It's the uh, invulnerability. I can't think of the actual term. And then the speed of Mercury. Uh-huh. So the, originally, Bill Parker kind of conceived of a character that would be five different characters, which is kind of what Jeff Johns is playing with now. But they would each have one of these powers, and then somebody said, why don't you just do a, where the kid becomes all these powers are in one. But his power set is also magical. Mm-hmm. Which means he is a formidable foe for Superman. Where uh, Superman's powers are, are arguably science-based, Billy's are magic based and you kind of achieve kind of this essentially the same goal however heat vision I can see being a bit of an annoyance kind of like Superboy being the uh, Connell being uh, affected by fire and heat and the hiss there really does sell that it hurts mm-hmm. however I think he's gonna his endurance will pay off yeah probably because he has the endurance of uh, was it Atlas and Yes. Yes. Uh, also, it's a uh, he's six in one. 
Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. That's six, not five. Okay, I'm sorry. My, my skills are in reading, not math. That's all right. <laughs> Basic counting, but it's all right. <laughs> um, all right. Um, now, on page 48, now, I've, I've never, well, I've only been to New York once, but is, is that a bridge or is that the, oh, that's the roller coaster at Coney Island, isn't it? That, that Mary Marvel's yes. flying past. Never mind. Which is, if I'm not mistaken, they've torn that down by now, right? Um, I know. I don't know that they've torn it down. I know they've taken part of it down because it's old. It was damaged during the Superstorm Sandy. Mm -hmm. So it's not... I know it's been shut down since then. Yeah. I believe they've had to take down... I don't know that they've taken it all down, but I know they've ta had to take down part of it because some parts have been coming off and it's the some of the wind and storms that they've had this year have caused it to creak. <laughs> that, that's not a, that's intimidating. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't want to be near a, a giant wooden roller coaster when it's creaking. Of course I don't want to be near a, a giant wooden roller coaster. I will ride a metal roller coaster all day, but I remember standing at Six Flags and seeing parts fall off of a wooden roller coaster that was in use. I'm like, nope, never again. Ah, uh, well I've been on one I haven't seen any fall apart yet. That I was on one once and I didn't like it because I'm not a roller coaster guy. Well, it's just small planks. Although one of my goals, roller coaster wise, is one day I'm going to get to Marvel Islands of Adventure, and Scott Gardner of Two True Freaks and I will ride the Hulk coaster together. It's on my bucket list. It is on my bucket list. I've seen it. Yeah. I've walked under it because you walk under it. They, the coaster goes over the main walk path. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did not ride it because again. I'm not the roller coaster guy. Yeah, I did the 3D Spider-Man thing though. That is awesome. See, I'm not really a roller coaster guy, but I think with the Hulk, I'm obligated. Yeah, you can make an exception. He's your other favorite, yeah. Bibbo. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, if we're finished with that section, yeah, we should probably we'll play a couple, play a promo or two. Yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and play some promos, and when we come back, Dave will finish the book. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. You've decided to go to a nearby restaurant. You ask the hostess to seat you in a booth. As you sit, you notice an animated conversation among the four seated behind you. They're talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who and something called the Laugh Olympics. These are the people you used to pants in high school. And yet, you cannot help listening. Unable to tear your ears away, you realize you've just been sucked into the Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks, weekly at twotruefreaks.com. Look, up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel and more superman homepage.com we now return to superman and the bronze age 
All right, and those were a couple of great promos, weren't they? Yes, they were. Hopefully, there was one of mine hey. in there. Well, I was probably going to put yours in the first one, but I could put it there too. I wonder if they'd notice. <laughs> Let's play the same promo twice. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Anyway, all right, so we're up to chapter four, the final chapter of the book. How will it end? Well, Dave will tell us. Well, it probably ends with them fighting some more, but no, what it is is the fight between Superman and Batman. Wow. The fight between Superman and Captain Marvel. <laughs> we're in a completely different yes. book now. <laughs> uh, the fight between Superman and Captain Marvel has taken us over the desert now. It looks like we are in Arizona. Uh, where fighter jets arrive on the scene and open fire on the combatants. Now, the pilots are ordered to do this, and they're reluctant to follow this order because they seem to be the smartest people in this uh, situation because the two of the, the people that they're, fi- they're firing on are known to be completely invulnerable. Well, at least one. They don't know yeah. they have tomorrow. <laughs> they're, well, they're, they're, they can guess if Superman's taking a pounding from him. Yeah. So Superman and Captain Marvel smash the planes. The pilots bail out, and they're thinking to themselves that, well, they knew this would happen. Told you so. Meanwhile, out in space, Mary Marvel and Supergirl go to visit the wizard Shazam! Shazam, if you will, who helps formulate a plan to attack Carmang. On Earth, Cap and Superman are now in Texas. We know this from the oil derricks. And they're still beating each other. And the cowboy, and the cowboy hats. hats, and he mentioned Sam Houston. Uh, they're still beating each other around, even using oil rigs as weapons. Captain Marvel briefly considers calling down the Mystic Lightning and dodging it, so Superman takes the brunt of the strike to exploit his vulnerability to magic. But the wizard appears and states that this battle cannot end, since it's serving a, well, basically it's serving as a distraction for Carmang. But when the wizard vanishes, without a plan of attack, the only thing Captain Marvel can do is allow Superman to knock him down. And knock him down he does with a great traboom as we go into the interlude, which since both combatants flying, oil's flying everywhere, Superman lands, seeing Captain Marvel knocked out, and thinks to himself, what have I done? This is when the wizard reveals himself and says, you gain your powers under a red sun, Captain Marvel becomes weaker in your universe. And basically tells him, look, you two need to work together. So Superman blasts Captain Marvel with heat vision to wake him up, and the two go off to help with this giant plan to help to stop Carmang which involves Supergirl and Mary Marvel arriving in Mars as Carmang is, well, messing with his machines. Uh, with just a brief moment of distraction, they're able to switch off the machine as Superman and Captain Marvel work together to kind of stave off the bad chaos effects of the machine, which means Superman is flying around the Earth really fast while Captain Marvel destroys the machines and with that, they're able to turn everything off, and Carmang actually gets sucked into the ghost dimension with his people. The day is saved. Mary Marvel is carried away by Supergirl, and all gather at the, at the uh, well, one of the Earths, it doesn't state here, to kind of recap and have their little friendly trite moment. And Mary Marvel, or Supergirl, pardon me, Mary Marvel flirts with Superman. And to teach her a lesson, Supergirl flirts with Billy Batson, and Mary kind of chews Supergirl out for that because, you know, Billy's a kid. And realizing the irony that Superman is indeed a grown man and Mary Marvel is not a grown woman, they all have a bit of a laugh at Mary's expense as she turns red-faced. Meanwhile, the last time we see Carmang, he is in that alternate dimension, being tortured by the souls of his people, and we leave him to be tormented for all eternity. The day is saved. The end. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> by, 
by the way, they were on. Uh, it says right here, epilogue. The scene is New York on Earth. So we're on Earth S. Thank you. Mm-hmm. No That's what happens when you wing it. Yep, you wing it better than I do. Uh, <laughs> sometimes. Although I have to say, I, I started to get a little confused. I was like, "Where are you?" But I found okay. you. There. Well, I'll get to it when I when we get that far along. But it, there looked like there was a couple spots where it looked like there was some art touch-ups by other people. Yeah. Especially if you look at just the the major splash that opens up this chapter, with the planes coming in, and then you have the two landscapes really separated by Captain Marvel's cape. Yes, it's like it's shot yes. at two different angles. Yeah, it's like they were trying to do an establishing shot of the Grand Canyon, and then they changed it to Superman and Captain Marvel over the Grand yeah. Canyon. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I think uh, this is towards the end of this book is where things got a little bit rushed because the story yeah. comes to this conclusion. Yeah, really fast. And the art takes a little bit of a dive. Not a huge dive, but a little bit of a dive. Yeah. Um, well, I guess since you synopsized, I'll go first. The Well, you mentioned, well, we talked about the first page. Uh, but if we move along to the next page, 54. Uh, the Captain Marvel's a little out of proportion here. Granted, I know he's supposed to be flying at an angle, but it just looks a little wonky. And in fact, in the third panel where you just see his head, that doesn't look like the same Captain Marvel we've seen the whole rest of the Not book. Not at all. He looks much older and much more grizzled. Older? Yeah. Old, he almost... I mean, he looks like Superman doesn't even look that adult. This guy looks like Cliff Robertson, know. who played Uncle Ben in the Raimi Spider-Man films. I, I mean, I, he really does. Yeah, I could Cliff see that. Robertson. Yeah, he de- I mean, it just it does. It's not even. The, I mean, everything's different except the eyebrows. Yeah. So I don't know what happened there. Um, uh, page fifty-five. It's nice to know things haven't changed too much as Supergirl is flying in just such a way. To show off two of her main female assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 years before Ed Benet's would work in comics. Uh, so that's interesting. Let's see. And yeah, there are several shots. Uh, and granted, she's wearing hot pants, so it's not quite as lewd. But yeah, the, she's definitely... And Supergirl more than Mary for some reason. Well, she's older. But not by much. Well, yeah, but she's in college. So she's okay. closer to of age. But, yeah, the um, it's just the way she's twisted there. I mean, you're, you, you you see a lot with her anyway, just because of her outfit. But on that particular panel, excuse me, she's twisted. Yeah. <laughs> so that you can see as many It's like she's possible. saying, look at me. <laughs> look what I got. I got some up here, yeah. too. Anyway, um... Let's see. Um, but yeah, t- obviously Texas is a mostly barren place with oil derricks. Mm-hmm. Has been for centuries now. Uh, but then when we get up to 59, Superman looks wonky here when he's getting hit. That head definitely looks pasted on. It's like they got rid of his neck or something. I don't know what happened there. That just does not look... And the, and the... I was wondering if you're going to mention the inset of that same panel. Yeah, Captain Marvel looks messed up on all these panels. 
Actually, they both do. This these two pages are pretty terrible. Well, um, I will defend it to some extent. I know they're. I mean, they've been fighting each other so long; they're starting to see wear and tear on their faces. But still, this is a bit over the top. Yeah. The uh, was it the fifth? Okay. The bo- the bottom left panel of this two pages. I'm on fifty-eight. Um, Captain Marvel. The angle he's drawn in. First of all, his face looks weird. And the arm you see coming off his body looks way too skinny. Um, yes, it looks. It just looks a little. I mean, it, it looks about as big as my arm, and you've seen my arm. Well, he suddenly. He, I ain't no superhero. Yeah, but he's also like he developed T Rex arms for some reason at the elbows. Yeah, yeah, they're just so. I don't know what. Yeah, yeah. The next panel, I don't know what happened here. Um, and then when we get to the next page, maybe his face is a little busted up from the punches and something, but. He he looks deformed. Yeah, it's it's really weird. Um, uh, but to page sixty and sixty one, I do like the fact that Carmang attacks with magic and it affects Supergirl. But Mary Marvel realizes that she's not vulnerable to magic, so she's able to throw fire throw magic fireballs right back at yeah. him. So that was cool. Uh, let's see. Now you get the one-page splash where Superman pops Captain Marvel a good one. Traboom. Uh, yeah, you get a well for all the ladies out there. It's a good shot, uh, I guess. Um, the art actually looks pretty good on this one, although Superman has also gone crazy and cross-eyed. <laughs> yes. If you flip it over. <laughs> wow! I just realized that it looks. <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened there, but yeah, that that looks wow. Um, that's he hit Captain Marvel so hard that it made his eyes go crossed. Superman's, not Captain Marvel's. Yeah. It's wow. Captain Marvel just closes uh, his eyes. Yeah, and then the next page when Superman realizes what he's done, it takes him. It completely takes. Uh, knocks away the effect of that judgment ray. Mm-hmm. And apparently Captain Marvel had already broken the spell earlier after the wizard talked to him. Somehow, um, yeah. It's not really clear. Yeah. That's why I say this Yeah. This tends to slide into the base. You know, it's Yeah, I, I'm almost wondering if it's supposed if we're supposed to think that the I don't know the the wizard. He just happened to follow what the wizard said, even though he was still going against the whole judgment thing. But then getting hit like that maybe knocks some sense to him. I don't know. It's uh yeah. Maybe because he's magic. Maybe the wizard fixed it when he talked to him. I see, and that that's there. If it's, I try not to think of it as the wizard because the wizard was thankfully never, or not never, but. Rarely use as a Deus Ex Machina. Oh, look, we can fix this just with a wizard. He may give some advice, mm. but typically he left the Marvels to figure it out for their own selves. Which I thought, with somebody like Shazam around, the wizard, oh, look, we can just fix this all in one panel. Everything's good. And they, a lot of times, 99.9% of the time, that temptation was avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, you know... Yeah, the wizard. I mean, even the wizard doesn't come fully involved. 
except for when he talks to Captain Marvel and Superman as a pep talk. I'm hoping it's not the wizard saying, no, uh, just, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Come back to yourself. (laughs) Yeah, he's using the Force to uh, I'm hoping it was. Yeah, I was hoping it was just getting slammed that hard. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Moving to the next page. Uh, Now, for all the stuff we're saying, I'd have to say that at the top of page 65, that's a good Supergirl. Yes. Well, the the females, the the female members, despite some odd posing, really looked solid. More solid than their male counterparts. Mm -hmm. Which is odd, considering generally artists have easier time with the guys than the girls. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. Um... Now, on the bottom of page 65, when we see Morgan Edge, for some reason... Well, it could just be the art, but it almost looks like Garcia Lopez came in and... Praise be his name, name, by the way. Um, came in to uh, do some touch-ups on Morgan Edge's face. Uh, kind of, just but Buckler... a little more. Buckler has a style that's comparable. He's not quite on the level of Jose Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Praise be his name. But he does have it, some of the same compositions and body types. He definitely is very good at... Um, trying to go to, well he's definitely from a similar art school to like the Neil Adams and the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez praise be his, name. his name thank you and uh, George Perez and uh, and others of that time just I don't know they, they, they've all got a similar style Jim Aparo his, his is uh, Buckler somewhat is somewhere similar. between Neil Adams and, and Jose Garcia Lopez praise be his name Yes. I mean, that's a perfect mixture right there. Um, he's a little rougher than the two. He's not quite there, but he's very comparable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then page 66, I thought the the big panel where we see the two heroes, that's it's starting to get better again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the art got a little bit... The Captain Marvel there looks actually really good in particular. Yeah. And uh, then the next page... Superman looks a little screwy on that top panel, um, as do the people in the background. <laughs> yes. But then after that, both characters seem to get a little bit better. Well, I think with Superman looking kind of garish, it matches the tone of that panel with all the chaos in the background that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you if you look, and I don't notice these things too much, but the inking style has changed since earlier in the book. Yeah, the inking has been inconsistent all the way throughout. I wonder if that's why we yeah. see some of the inconsistencies in the art. I don't know if I put that completely on Buckler. Though in the fall in the DC Comics presents issues, there's a bit of wonkiness, but those are tricky issues because you have these two characters switching costumes. And for unfortunately they oh, they're very yeah. similar looking in build and in hair color. And so that Yeah, the only thing they've got is one has his hair combed back, and the other one's got the spigot. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> if you're looking yeah. at certain panels, yeah. But um, yeah, the it's almost like the inking is rushed too. Just kind of get it, get something on the on there and move along. Yeah, in the back of my head, there's. I mean, if I'm just judging this by eye, just eyeballing it, I I think there was more than one inker. I, Giordano in no way inked this whole thing. No. It, that's uh, typical of him, as, as we've learned. Uh, he he worked with uh, at Continuity Studios, mm-hmm. and 
it was almost it's almost similar to um believe it or not like Bob Kane used to do or even Joe Schuster um it would all be under his name but there was like four or five other people that would be doing some of the work um a lot of times i the backgrounds don't seem detailed enough in this for me to think that it, that he did anything but a lot of times you'll see Terry Austin doing backgrounds um but the the level of detail on the backgrounds in this story leads me to believe he's not doing any of the inking on the backgrounds. If he is, it's very rushed, so he doesn't have time to put his usual polish on yeah. it. Um, but yeah, there he had several inkers. Who was it? Um, I mistakenly said it was somebody else a couple episodes ago. He, a uh, man of steel, it ended up being like Frank McLaughlin. As the inker. Yeah, which ticked John Fern off of because part of that was the promise that Dick, that Dick Giordano himself would actually ink this. That was part yes. of the contract, and Giordano did not. And looking at some of this, I'm pr- I can I'm pretty I feel pretty safe in saying that I think McLaughlin did some inking on this as well, uh, uncredited, because there's a few places where some of the inking just looks very similar to. The Man of Steel. Yeah. Oh yes, I definitely agree with you. So yeah, it's uh, there were several other guys in the studio, so it, it it's hard to say exactly who did what, but yeah, you can definitely tell. I difference. will say this though, with the, with Giordano and his studio, it wasn't quite the same situation as Bob Kane. Bob Kane tried to make it sound like it was all him all the time. That's just why. That's yeah, why yeah. Jim Steranko can slap him, and I'm okay with that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the other thing is with both Bob Kane and um, Joe Schuster is while this while this book is being while the Dick Giordano thing it's inking, basically the penciler still in charge. The inking is a little different. The other guys had were pencilers and had a specific style. And all the people in their studio had to mimic that style. Mm-hmm. Based on what we're seeing here, I'm thinking they're not trying so hard to hide the different inking styles. They just aren't getting the credit. Yeah. it's uh, But they, they with this, usually if you're going to join a studio, at, by this stage in the game, you kind of knew what you were getting into. And once again, it comes back to, hey, it's a job. It's, it's putting a roof over my head. Right, right, right. And I believe they still do that to this day. Um, there, are, usually they say they actually put studios names though. But um, there are people that do it this way. They get in a studio, and if they have to, especially when you're hitting, crunching on a deadline. Oh yeah. Like it appears is happening at the end of, by the end of this book, uh, they'll just start handing pages off to whoever is available to start inking stuff. Um, Marvel even came up with name with strange names for the inkers when that happened so I can't think of any of the names off the top I can't of my either, head but I know what you're talking about but yeah they, they I mean they, they made up names and whenever and it was weird names so whenever you saw the names you know like three or four hundred other people were inking possibly one person per page just to make sure that the issue got out on time mm-hmm. or as close to on time as possible wouldn't it, would it so, be awesome if, if there was still that kind of system in place where books came out on time I know, wouldn't it? 
You would think that they would try you, to. You would think with technology that there would be a, a way to do that, that yeah. expedited well, a little bit. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Now, I know that they had delays back in the day. That I mean, I, I don't even assume that everything came out on time all the time. But these days, people email and fax comic pages <laughs> uh, to be inked or whatever. Back then, they had to mail these things. So, I mean, it took longer. So it's just kind of amazing. But, yeah, you would think now in the day where you can literally email it to someone and they can get it within the, within five minutes and start inking or something that it would be a little quicker. But also these days, the pencilers are a little slower. Yeah. And it's because a lot of it is because of the fact that they use more splash panels, like we've mentioned, and more splash panels generally indicate more details, and the details take time. Yes. Well, also you have uh, celebrity status figures, or uh, artists. Oh, yes. Figures in the... Yes. Yes. Super... Um, All-Star Bat- uh, All Batman and Robin, you can't have an issue come out without Jim Lee on the art. Wouldn't it be awesome if that series got <laughs> finished... Yeah, they kind of left it at a cliffhanger, didn't they? Well, actually, they kind of ended it, had got it to a good point. Then they released one more issue. Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah, and now it's at a kind of just left there. And the thing was, they came back and said, well, "We're going to come back and finish this as this," and that never materialized at all. That was when New Fifty Two came down. So, <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah, it's yeah, that's never going to get finished. No. But you know what? It's funny because we probably need to finish yes. this. <laughs> um. Uh, let's see. Although I have to say, for all the stuff we're saying with art, some of it still looks really good. Page 68, when you see Superman after he's been flying around the Earth, the half-page splash, that looks pretty Yeah, epic. very Kurt Swan in its posing as well. And yes. Like the build of the body. Mm-hmm. Very kind much. Kind of the so. same thing with 69, and where Captain Marvel's smashing the machine. Tom Mandrake pretty much took this exact pose in Shazam at yeah, the Yeah, I was going to say, it's very Tom Mandrake. Uh, let's see, and then I like how it's basically once you get halfway through this book, it's basically a Supergirl Mary Marvel thing. They beat Carmack. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just that the guys happen to take care of the uh, devices, but the girls are the ones that save the day. They're, so that's yeah, really I, cool. I that was one of my favorite aspects of this book. Is yeah, we see two really powerful heroes that you kind of want to see throw down, throw they throw down. But the plot really plays out with Mary Marvel and Supergirl, which is a great usage of all four characters, to be honest. I will agree with you there. And then we get to, uh, let's see, 71. And uh, Mary Marvel starts hitting on Superman, and <laughs> he's a little surprised by it. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. And I didn't realize Mary also said holy moly. Yes. Well, it's more Billy's thing, but... Yeah, she says it quietly, but holy the, moly. The, be the funniest bar part of this is when they do the, the follow-up story in uh, DC Comics Presents, they call back to that. Oh, yes. really? <laughs> Sweet. Because Freddy, they actually bring in Captain Marvel Jr. in that one, and Freddy's a bit jealous. Ooh. Yeah, I can see why. Doesn't he have a crush on Mary? Crush, yeah. Wouldn't you? At his, yeah. I mean, you're all young. 
Well, yeah, yeah. He also doesn't change his Correct. age much. He just... He's able to walk without a limp. Yeah, his limp goes away or whatever's wrong with his yep. leg. Um, he's also the only superhero that can't say his name. Yeah, not well. They fixed that. That's one of the nice things about the new 52 is you have to say the the word with with purpose. With You have to be intending to call it down, so... Yes, but back then he he changed by saying Captain yes, Marvel. Yes, he did. So if you asked him what his name was and he said Captain Marvel Jr., he was back to um, oh. Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman, that's it. But that's all the notes I've got. What about you? Uh, we pretty much covered most of my notes. As I mentioned, Carmang is a really cool villain. I uh, would have liked to have seen more, but I maybe, once again, that would have been another deluded villain. Because I mean, this is a guy that schools Black Adam, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he takes down Black Adam, and... Well, he doesn't really take down the Quorum Super. The only problem is that we don't really... I mean... Well, yeah, I guess we do get some resolution to the Black Adam and the other the Sand Superman. Mm-hmm. Never mind. No, I mean, it was a well-paced story overall, because you do... without it's not It's never heavy-handed. It never feels unnatural that these characters are coming together. Because they're being manipulated. Mm-hmm. They fit a lot into this. Did they focus on everything? No, because it was a very compressed no. story. For 48 pages, I mean, this fit a lot of action in. Yes, and that makes sense for the kind of stories they told back yep. then. You could get a, maybe, what, six-issue miniseries out of this? <laughs> yeah, 12. These days? Yeah, maybe 12. Um, but that's it for the story. The back, The inside back cover... Uh, is a is an essay written by E. Nelson Bridwell that covers basically the courtroom battle between Superman and Captain Marvel, which actually spends a lot of time just doing the backgrounds on both characters. Basically, the stuff that Dave told you all at the beginning of last episode. Mm-hmm. So we won't really go into it too much. Uh, and then, you know, I think we failed to mention last episode about the cool wraparound cover. Yes. Well, it's, um, you, is it really gets? It's not really wrap around. Yeah, good point. Uh, the front cover uh, is obviously Buckler Giordano, mm-hmm. um, or supposedly. Um, you know, the two of them are just punching. Mary Marvel's coming towards Superman, and Supergirl's flying towards Captain Marvel to try to, I guess, you know, stop the fight. They both look shocked, and in the background, you see their two Earths right behind them, shaking. I guess the idea is that they're moving. And then on the back cover, you see Carmang on one one screen. He's basically looking at the cover. Mm-hmm. On the other screen, he's watching the two Earths collide and blow up. And he's very excited about this and says, Keep fighting, heroes, so you can't stop me from smashing both of your Earths. I remember seeing the front cover in some old comics I had when I was a kid. And of course, then, back issues weren't as easy to get a hold of. You'd be lucky to stumble upon this. uh, Even for a good price, because the markup was, I mean, proportionately much higher now. There was value in this. Oh, yeah. Because I think... think That's why I'm sorry. That's why it took so long for me to get my hands on one. (laughs) Because... I haven't really haven't until just recently have not seen any of these old treasuries. There has been an influx for some reason, and that the one that you have, the one uh, was the one that I got. I happened upon a huge box of them, buy one get one free, 
But I remember seeing this cover and just being like, oh, I want to read this so bad. So when I saw it there at this at the store, buy one get one free. I'm like, well, this is a this is an obvious kind of like Batman versus Hulk. And you know, once I read it, once I had the reprint, you know, I'm like, okay, this needs to go to a, a good home. Who's going to appreciate it? Mm-hmm. Thank oh. you. Well, yeah, I have to thank you again for this because I love having this book. Um, again, we see some more detail on Carmen here because the coloring. Uh, on a cover allows for more details to mm-hmm. show. And I didn't realize the eyeballs at the cape. Yes, I didn't see that either. Oh. Uh, but it also makes me realize that this book is, I guess because of the size, it doesn't have to be, but it is not approved by the Comics Code Authority. No, it is not, but I didn't see anything in there that would really violate the code that I could think of. Uh, not that I can think of, unless, well, maybe the eyeballs. That's all I could see. Nah, possibly, possibly, but... They might have let it, but I don't know. This cover's so good, they reused it for the trade paperback. Uh, it's recolored. This one, that part is digitally recolored and redone on softer tones. Oh, not quite painted look, but it's just, it's it says everything you need to know about what's happening. Yeah, I think the only thing they changed was they updated the Superman logo, really. A little bit, yeah. And the DC that's Comics it, logo. Because everybody's still in the same costumes sense. and... Yeah, yeah, same costumes. They recolored the Earths to look a little more realistic. But beyond that, everyone, everything looks about the same. So, yeah. I will say this this collection was totally worth the price. Not only does is this, and I said 48 pages earlier, it's 72. Not only is this story solid from <gasps> beginning to end, the be- the mm-hmm. other stories that are collected in this Superman vs. Shazam, solid all the way through. Yes, uh, this book also collects DC Comics Presents 33 through 34, which is a two-part, obviously, with Superman and Captain Marvel teaming up, and issue number 49, as well as DC Comics Presents Annual number 3. Which is pretty epic in itself. So it's a grand total of 192 pages. Is that the exact order they're in, too? Hmm? Is that the order they're actually in the book, yes. too? Cool. So it, it's, they actually progress forward, because, I mean, they do build on each other a little bit. They'll reference the, the crossovers. Oh, cool. Yeah, there was even reference in this book to um, the more recent, or to the then-recent uh, Justice League story that involved the Justice Leaguers meeting the Earth as yep. heroes. They never fully integrated them into the DC Universe until post-crisis. Which, yeah, they always stayed on that separate yeah. Earth. But they did have these nice crossovers, and all of the crossovers were all were usually. I mean, they made them an event because it was two universes mm-hmm. crossing over essentially. And they basically got that Earth back at the end of the uh, fifty-two miniseries. Yes, for a little bit. Well, yeah, till New Fifty Two, yeah. and no one—they didn't do anything with it. I'm just <laughs> no, they, they had it there. Well, it's nice yeah. to know you have it if you need it. Yeah. Well, they had 52 of them that they didn't do anything with, so... Well, 51, because I guess all the stories took place on our Earth. But anyway. But that's going to do it for our coverage of Superman versus Shazam. Uh, Dave, I want to thank you again for jumping on this part of the episode and helping me look at this, because 
you brought a lot of information about Captain Marvel that I would not have had. Oh, it's my pleasure. You, you, it's not hard to get me to talk Captain Marvel. This is the second time I've covered this story, and I was totally on board to do it again. <laughs> yeah, I was a little hesitant because I was going to ask you to cover it, and then all of a sudden Superman Forever 44 comes out, and we're going to talk about Superman versus Shazam. And I'm like, crap. Right, but... I was like, hey, you wouldn't mind wanting to do it again, would you? And you're like, nah, I think yeah. I can do that. <laughs> well, this one, I mean, coming back over it, especially with the looking at it with a different print, you know, rather doing the trade paperback rather than the treasury, I mean, you'll always find mm-hmm. something different. Your opinion may change over time because that was almost a year ago now. Yeah, plus we, um, we were looking at it, well, I don't want to knock your show. I'm not trying to knock your show, but uh, we looked at it a little closer, maybe? I think so. I, I got, you did yeah. take, you took one episode, and we were, of course, it's two of us talking, but, you well, know, with, plus you get, get an extra person bringing in their yeah, point. Yeah, with, with what I did with that episode was I also covered some extra material with Captain Marvel as well. So, so right. a little bit of yeah. different coverage added. So, yeah, it was a little bit different. I, I was amazed that you fit the whole book, that that and the extra stuff all in one issue. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Cool and <laughs> hard episode. work. So. I bet. But, um, again, thank you for joining me. And everyone out there, thank you for listening to another episode. Uh, we'll be back in just two weeks with, well, we're, with something. I swear to you, there will be something to listen to in two well, weeks. I can tell you there will be a Legion until... coverage. Yes, featuring Superboy. Yes. Uh, and what else do you do on the internet, Dave? Well, I also do uh, Pad Smash and Incredible Hulk podcast, which you can find at the Incredible Hulk homepage, where I do blog about, surprise, surprise, the Hulk, uh, where you can find the uh, Daily Smash or the Smash of the Day, which is random Hulk images, as well as reminiscences. Um, I had one recently where I talked about my Mego Hulk and how he walked around naked because of bath time. You get your mind out of the gutter. Wow. You know, I was a kid. I was a wee little kid. And if whenever, because we had the basin bath, if something fell between that and the wall, it was gone for good. So, so that's how you lost your Hulk, that's, or that's where the Hulk—that's where the Hulk's went. pants went. Oh, because you okay. can't take the Hulk into the bath with the pants on. <laughs> oh, now that'd be—that'd just be crazy. <laughs> but no, I, I blog about the Hulk, and uh, you know, I'm also as I mentioned, the podcast covers the Peter David era with Lee Busby, and who's been on this show, and Michael Bailey, who's mm-hmm. also been on this show. Also been on the show at the same time you yes. were. Mm-hmm. So I have literally, as I mentioned, I think when I had Lee on, I have had everyone from that show on this show. And yet you have not been on that show. Yet. Nope. Oh, I got to catch up on my Hulk. You better get reading. Yes, 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 I do. I have like a year's worth in in my reading pile so that I can get ahead of your show. And now I'm going to throw X-Factor in the gears just as... <laughs> yeah, now you're throwing X-Factor in there, and I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding. So now not only am I going to get ahead of you, but I'm going to get away ahead of you because you're knocking it back to... <laughs> you're covering two issues every episode? No, one issue an episode. One issue an episode one still? Week, it's weekly, so, yeah. so one week is X-Factor, the next week is Hulk, and then back to X-Factor. Okay, they so yeah, so you're slowing down on your Hulk. Dang it. <laughs> now I'm going to be way ahead. Okay. I'll let Don't it go, get though. too far ahead. There's some really, oh. really good stuff coming in that run. Okay. Well, everyone, if you can, if you can survive looking at Marvel comics, I highly suggest you check it out because it's one of the best. Uh, I will say this, not just as a friend, but it is one of my favorite Marvel comics-based podcasts. Oh, thank you. And I do listen to more than just 
that's the, that one. Well, speaking of, I listened to more than yeah. three. Oh, settle down. Going over <laughs> to the other side. Uh, as far as the topics covered today, I mean, I, I typically cover Superboy and Superman here, uh, but down the road, around six months from now, around March of 2014, I would expect something related to what we've talked about these past couple of weeks to come rolling out, allegedly. Hmm. I have no idea what you mean, but I will be watching. Yes, you probably should be watching. Yes, yes, yes. I can't <laughs> wait. But anyway, um, so thank you all for listening. We will see you guys again in two weeks. Until then, I'm Charlie. I'm Dave. And we'll see you later. Bye, guys. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weir. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones, on demand, and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. (laughs) 